At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Try not to show any emotion as I speak, okay? Just keep playing the game if you understand. Two is still in the infirmary recovering. He's being watched now, but once he is released, he and the others are going to attempt to kill you. Right here. In this room. And Papa will allow it to happen. In fact, he wants it to happen. He's been planning it for some time now. Stay calm. Focus on the game. There's a reason why two and the others were able to escape their room last night. Why the security cameras were turned off. Why Papa punished two today. They don't even realize it, but he is moving them like pieces on this board here. Driving them to do exactly what he wants, which is... Why? You frighten him. He knows you're more powerful than the others. And he also knows he can't control you. That's all he wants. Control. I saw all this happening. That's why I wanted to help you, but I only made things worse. Helping me... made Papa hurt you. And it is why you must escape. Today. But they are watching us. you want to make it out of here alive, you must do exactly as I say. Do you understand? Why do you still help? Because I believe in you. 
Greetings, stranger friends. Surprise. I know I just put chapter six up a couple days ago, but I'm back here again for the last chapter of part one so we could be fully caught up and fresh as a daisy for when part two comes out at the end of this week. In fact, part two comes out in what, three days from now? Oh my gosh. If you're listening to this in the future, part two is already out and you're enjoying it and it's wonderful. But right now, as I speak to you, it is Tuesday and on Friday, part two is finally with us. So for part one, I wanted to get all the episodes out before part two uh, premiered. At one point, I thought there's no way I'd be able to do it. But here I am with a couple days to spare uh, so that we can talk about this episode without any knowledge of what comes next on Friday. But on Friday, we're getting two episodes, two gigantic, one ginormous episode and another large episode as well, from my understanding. So what I'm thinking I'm going to be doing, I'm also going to be on vacation in New Hampshire at my mother-in-law's house. So here's the plan. On Friday, I'm going to watch them both. I'm going to watch one early in the day, one later in the day, and then, you know, I guess spend time with my family in the middle of the day. I'll try to do that. Um, But I wouldn't expect a podcast coming on Friday or that weekend because I'm away. I'm I'm going to be doing some vacation things, mainly uh, reading and uh, planning uh, future episodes of Stranger Danger. So then the following week, we'll be home a couple days later, Um, I'll be back at work, but that never stopped me from podcasting with you people. So once after, you know, probably the week after, um, it's Friday, we get the episodes. I'll be up there till about Monday, Tuesday, then come home. I'm guessing, you know, I'll I'll start working on those last two episodes then. And I want to get them up quickly, but at the same time, once they're up, they're off, they're out. And then, and then we just wait, we're just waiting season five and it's like oh no after everything we've been waiting for and we got it and it's been amazing but now we're back in the waiting room now obviously there'll be many other things for us to talk about in the meantime but 
I almost want to savor these last two episodes for a couple days, really maybe watch them a couple times before uh, before jumping in and, and kind of go at giving the the long detailed recaps that I love to do for y'all. Y'all, I don't even know where that came from. But that's future talk. We're not anywhere near there right now. We're days away right now. Let's focus on where we are. And where are we? We're about to talk about Chapter 7, The Massacre at Hawkins Lab. We pick up exactly where the last episode left off. Steve is in the Upside Down fighting for his life as these little bastards are choking and biting him. But suddenly, one of them gets knocked off him. The rest of the boat buddies have arrived. Nancy smashes that little shit with an oar as Eddie and Robin stand behind her, ready to defend themselves. Robin steps on one while Nancy bludgeons it. Eddie is smacking some of them right out of the sky. One grabs hold of Nancy, but Robin drags it off her, allowing Nancy to spear it with an oar. Eddie gets one right in the mouth with his oar, as Steve takes the last one and whips it all around like he's the Hulk and this thing is just a puny god. He steps on it and rips its tail right off. Steve looks exhausted, with blood coming out of his mouth. Jesus Christ. Oh my God. Jesus, twice. Are you okay? I only took about a pound of flesh. But other than that, yeah, never better. Uh, do you guys think these bats have, like, rabies? What? It's just that rabies are like my number one greatest fear, and I think we should probably get you to a doctor like really soon, because once the symptoms set in, it's too late. You're already like dead. While they think they're in the clear, all of a sudden they see a few more flying out. Not too many. They think maybe they could take them. They all stop and they guard the gate. But then they look in the sky, and a ton more are coming. They need to run. Woods. They make their way into the woods as we see red flashes of lightning striking through the upside down. And we cut to the opening credits. After the credits, we're right back in Sullivan's hot box, which sounds dirtier than I intended. But you, you know what I mean? It's the, the metal... A uh, little locker that's surrounded by heat lamps, which generally I prefer my heat lamps to be heating up french fries, but okay. Uh, Sully's goons unlock it, and we see Wallace just fall right out. He, he seems like a broken man. Sullivan asks him if he reconsidered. Where is the girl? Wallace stands his ground, so they're ready to just toss his ass right back in. But then... Please. 
kill her. Promise me you won't kill her. Oh, oh good, he nodded. He agreed. He promised he wouldn't kill her. Great. Um, I'm sure we can uh, trust that. But it seems like he did win. He's broken down Wallace, who seems like he's ready to talk. Ready to tell them where Eleven is. And of course, we know exactly where she is. She's over at the Nita Project, working on her powers. She's in a room trying to crush a Coke can with her mind. A task she was able to do easily, years ago. She sees flashes of the death of all those children in the lab. It distracts her, and she's not able to do anything with this Coke can. A Coca-Cola classic can, might I say. Coca-Cola has already started to give up on new Coke. So while Eleven is having trouble trying to uh, harness her powers for the Coca-Cola classic, Owens and Brenner are in the next room watching her. And Owen seems like he's had enough. It doesn't seem to be working. He's given Brenner everything he's asked for. He's compromised himself, his beliefs, everything. And he's, he thinks all he has to show for it is this frightened little girl. We then go into Eleven's room where we see Dr. Brenner and her are having a chat. The truth is, you're regressing, Eleven. You're going backwards. Eleven, look at me. Look at me. I know you're frightened. You're terribly frightened by what you've seen. But it's this very fear that's now holding you back. If you want Nina to succeed, you cannot hide from the truth, no matter how frightening it may be. I saw what I did. I am a monster. You speak of monsters, superheroes. That's the stuff of myth and fairy tales. Reality, truth, is rarely so simple. People are not so easily defined. Only by facing all of ourselves, the good and the bad, can we become whole. What if I don't want to become whole? Then that is a choice. Your choice. The door is always open. This place is not a prison. This is. You chose to trust me once. I'm asking you to trust me again. Journey with me into the past one last time. Stop hiding, Eleven. It is so weird having this feeling, this feeling like Brenna really does have her best interests at heart this time. It's like, I feel like we can actually trust him. And then I feel shame for feeling that feeling. But I, I think we can trust him. Eleven decides to trust him as she prepares to go back into the tank. 
While she's getting ready to go in, we see Brenna go into his personal video store and he rents a tape for September 8th, 1979. Don't forget, Brenna, to be kind and rewind because otherwise there might be a $2 fee added to your account. He fires up the tape as Owens asks him, how much time did he skip? Brenna responds, you want progress? I'm giving it to you. He's going all in to show what happened on that fateful day. As inside the tank, we see Eleven start to drift off. Over at the Wheeler house, ooh, there's a party. There's a lot of cars in the driveway. Oh, wait. Those are police cars, right, that's right. The last time we saw the police, they were grabbing Dustin, who was trying to get away with Max and Lucas, but they did successfully get them off of Eddie's sin, so that was good. But now everybody's back at the Wheeler's house. The Sinclairs are there with Erica, Mrs. Henderson is there, Officer Callahan is there, and Chief Powell is questioning the kids. And what exactly were you all doing at the lake? We were we were just going for a walk. A walk? At 9 p.m.? To the lake. We're gonna take a little swim. Long night swim. Dusty, someone was just murdered there. Yeah, we, we didn't realize that until we got there. That's why we didn't swim. And Nancy, was she with you at this night swim? No. Yes. Uh, we're not sure. She was there, and then she left. It's all a little confusing. And that's when you guys came. Right, and then they dared me to say what I said. <laughs> oh, yeah. About the killer. <laughs> You're lucky you didn't get shot. Have you had any contact with Eddie? That psycho freak killer? God, no. Nope. No, we, no, ha no. we haven't heard from Absolutely him in ages. Not. We barely know the guy. Who? Oh, that's a bunch of bull. Erica. Erica! I mean, you realize they're lying. The whole couch is on fire. Erica! Erica. Just the facts. Are you lying to these policemen, Dusty? No! Lying to the cops is a crime, son. I'm not lying. The fire is consuming us. Burn them with a little jail time. Maybe that'll loosen their lips. Okay. Oh, you want to send our kids to jail? They need to take but this seriously. He didn't mean it like that. We're going to try a more civilized approach. One at a time. You first. Wait, what? Why me? Follow me. I, I'm not even in the Hellfire Club. Do I need to cuff you? Okay, there's so much to love in that scene. Number one, I love that Lucas doesn't have a poker face at all. He's trying to lie to the cops and he starts talking like this. I just thought that was hilarious. Uh, the three of them together really aren't that great under pressure. They couldn't quite get their story straight. Where's, was Nancy there? Wasn't she there? I also love that Erica called them on their bull right in front of everyone, and she uses the classic line from Dragnet, just the facts. Plus, did you notice uh, Mr. Wheeler's like, oh, maybe we should threaten them with a little jail time. Easy enough to say when neither of your kids are there. I don't think any of the other parents uh, like that very much. But then commotion just broke out, and Powell, you know, he's the chief now. He demands respect, and he gets it. He takes control 
really quickly yells at everybody to shut up and decides to split the kids up and talk to each one separately, Max first. So while Max is taken in for questioning, we go down, down, down to the upside down where our teenage heroes are hiding from the flying menaces under the very cool named Skull Rock. It seemed like after a few seconds, the the little monsters uh, flew off and the coast was clear. They started to kind of move around a little more, but then Steve got a little woozy. Oh, he didn't look so good. And just looking at those bite marks, uh, they made me pretty, pretty nervous seeing those. But for now, Nancy rips off part of her sleeve or her jacket or something, and she wraps it around Steve to protect him. And, ooh, they definitely shared a little look there. I, I saw it for sure. Eddie gets up um, on a different rock, and he gets a glimpse of more red flashes in the distance. So, uh, this place is like Hawkins, but with monsters and nasty shit? Pretty much. Wait, watch out for the vines. It's all a hive mind. It's all a what? All the creepy crawlies around here, dude. They're like one or something. You step on a vine, you're stepping on a bat, you're stepping on Vecna. Shit. But everything from our world is still here, right? Except people, obviously. As far as I understand it, yeah. So theoretically, we could go to the police station and steal guns and grenades and whatever we need to blow up those bat things that are guarding the gate. I mean, yeah, I highly doubt that the Hawkins PD has grenades, Robin, but I mean, guns, yeah, sure. Well, we don't have to go all the way downtown for guns. I have guns in my bedroom. You, Nancy Wheeler, have guns, plural, in your bedroom? Full of surprises, isn't she? A Russian Makarov and a revolver. Yeah, you almost shot me with that one. You almost deserved it. I love that Eddie is so shocked that Nancy Wheeler is much more than she appears. And you definitely see a little more flirting between Steve and Nancy. Eddie finally throws Steve his sleeveless jean jacket so he didn't have to be running around completely shirtless anymore. Suddenly, there seems to be an earthquake. Robin falls down with Eddie and Nancy falls, but Steve catches her and holds her. And then we hear screaming off in the distance. But now they have a plan. Get to the Wheeler's house. Get to Nancy's guns. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.
So while the cool kids are trying to get to the Wheeler house, trying to avoid a bevy of monsters along the way, we fly over to Soviet Russia, where we know there's another monster awaiting its next snack. We find our favorite prisoners in their cell, waiting for what comes next. Harper quickly and discreetly tears part of his jacket so he has a large piece of cloth that he tucks away inside his coat. Then Enzo and Hopper have a little bonding moment over both being fathers. I bet Mikhail will be proud of his pops at least. Mikhail? Hmm. No. I can't do nothing right with him anymore, it seems. He will say, Papa, I bet that bald American did most of the monster slaying. He's that age, huh? Yeah, he is that age. <laughs> it is the same for you, American? With your new daughter? Last time I was with Al, she wanted just about nothing to do with me. I was just in her way, really. I think back to the way I was with my dad at that age. I was the same way. The exact same way. It must be hardwired into us to reject our fathers. So we can grow, move on. Become something of our own. I hope that's what she's doing. Coming into her own. Still, you worry. Don't worry for our sons and daughters. That is natural, isn't it? Yeah. Nothing about what else have to deal with is natural. That beast, that monster in there, it's a part of something that wants to hurt Elle, the killer. I don't understand. To be honest, neither do I. All I know is that thing, that thing shouldn't be here, shouldn't be alive. Because it is, it means this still isn't over. I thought I was put here to pay for what I've done. But I might have been put here for some other reason. Maybe I, maybe I can still help Elle, even if it's the last thing I do. You almost sound religious, American. Religious? I don't know about that. But maybe I should give that prayer thing a try. So if we want to get out of here, we want to get back to Elle and Mikhail, you and me. We're gonna need a miracle. From his facial expressions to his line delivery, David Harbour is goddamn tremendous this season. And quite honestly, if the Emmys ignore him, it's a crime. It's a friggin' crime. I love that moment. I love that speech. Both of the men just want to get out. They want to live. They want to see their children again. But maybe the only way for that to happen is with a miracle. But hey, miracles have been known to happen. And speaking of miracles, is that a van I see pulling up to a snowy gate? At the sound of a horn, we see a guard come out and flashes a light bulb in the face of a driver, in the face of Murray. 
a shaved Murray, pretending to be Yuri. The plan is in motion. He gives him Yuri's ID and does his best to show a big silly grin while speaking perfect, flawless Russian. Says the warden is expecting him with a nice rare import from America. The guard looks in the back and sees Joyce and the actual Yuri both tied up and gagged. While Murray is worried, the guard lets him through. We jump back over to the Nina Project, where we see Brenner talking to Eleven, asking her if she can remember what happened to her when she was attacked. But she claims she can't. He says, perhaps someone else can fill in the gaps. He then takes her down the hall, hand in hand, to the room where they do their training exercises. Good morning, children. Good morning, Papa. Today's lesson is going to be about rules. Um, for some of you, this may seem redundant. For others, it appears a refresher is required. Levin, please step forward. Last night, your sister, Eleven, suffered a concussion during her alone time in the Rainbow Room. Now, she claims to not have a memory of what happened. But injuries of this nature don't simply happen. Someone did this. Someone in this room. Now, who's going to tell me what happened? At first, nobody says a thing. So many kids look frightened. And then two speaks up. She must have fallen. Fallen? You've seen her, Papa. She's clumsy, stupid. Eleven, you may step back. Number two, please step forward. He really is a number two. Do you really think talking like that was a smart idea? Call her him. All of a sudden, we see the orderly with this collar. With all these little things sticking in. Almost like something you'd give a dog to not run through a, a yard through Thank an you. electric fence. And while this collar is on number two, Brenner's holding a remote in his hand. You think because you demonstrate some talent that you're somehow immune to the rules, is that it? No, Papa. That the rules don't apply to you in the same way that they apply to your brothers and sisters? No, Papa. Then why did you attack Eleven? Did she tell you that? Are you asking the questions or am I? Did you attack Eleven? If she told you that, then, then she's lying. Papa, please, you have to believe me. Papa, please. She's lying! Brenner presses a button on the remote and just shocks the hell out of this kid. Now, should we try again? He turns the dial up even more. What happened? It was an accident. Okay. I've said many times this kid is a prick. But I couldn't help but feel bad when you see him just 
shaking and convulsing and quivering all o- all over the floor. It, it was tough to see. And you know, just a little while ago, I'm saying, oh, you know, I feel like we can trust Brenner now, like he has their best Eleven's best interest at heart now. But he's the same man who just a few years earlier was shocked. Well, first of all, these kids are, you know, I felt I feel like kidnapped anyway and, and, and held like, uh, you know, illegally. But he's shocking them. He's like cruelly punishing this kid. Did he deserve to be punished? Yes. Did he deserve this punishment? Maybe. But still, like the fact that Brenner does this and doesn't even seem to think twice about it makes me think, Jesus, you know, maybe, you know, I trust him now. Maybe he's had a change of heart now. But back then, it was like whatever it takes to, you know, get the job done. Ugh. So we hop back over to the Upside Down. They're making their way to Nancy's house, and Nancy's walking along with Robin, while Steve and Eddie are bringing up the rear and having a little chat. Eddie. Eddie. Hey, man. Uh, listen, I just uh, just want to say thanks for saving my ass back there. Shit, you saved your own ass, man. I mean, that was a real Aussie move you pulled back there. Ozzy? He took a bite out of that bat. Ozzy Osbourne? Black Sabbath? He, he bit a bat's head off on the stage? You know? Didn't no. It's very metal, he did. That's all I'm saying. Thanks. Henderson told me you were a badass. Insisted on the matter, in fact. Wait, Henderson said that? Oh, yeah. Shit. Kid worships you, dude. Like, you have no idea. It's kind of annoying, to be honest. I, mean, I don't even know why I care what that little shrimp thinks, but uh, I guess I got a little jealous, Steve. I guess I can accept the fact that Steve Harrington is actually a good dude. Rich parents, popular, chicks love him. Not a douche? No way, man. No way. That, like, flies in the face of all the laws of the universe and my own personal Munson doctrine. Still super jealous as hell by this crazy. Which is why I would never have jumped in that lake to save your ass. Not under any, uh, normal circumstances. Nope. Outside of D&D, I am no hero. I see danger, and I just turn heel and run. Or at least that's what I've learned about myself this week. Give yourself a break, man. See, the only reason I came in here was because those ladies came in straight after you. Now, I was too ashamed to be the one who stayed behind. But Wheeler, right there, she didn't waste a second. Not one second. She just dove right in. Now. I don't know what happened between you two, but if I were you, I would get her back. Because that was as unambiguous a sign of true love as these cynical eyes have ever seen. It's at this point another earthquake hits. But right before that, I love the conversation that Eddie and Steve have. 
how Eddie didn't want to believe that Steve Harrington is actually not a douche. How he's actually jealous of Steve because of how highly Dustin talks about him. And how he's no hero. He only dove in because he was ashamed after seeing Robin and Nancy who didn't waste a second. Wheeler dove right in right after him. He said if that ain't true love, he doesn't know what is. The earthquake stops everyone in their tracks for a second. But then Nancy just keeps on trudging. They all finally follow and catch up with her as she stops and looks. She looks at her home. They make their way towards it as we hear Dustin on his walkie-talkie trying to reach the other kids in that very same house in our dimension. Well, I assume it's our dimension. I assume Stranger Things is in our dimension, right? I mean, it's not some third weird dimension where there are people like Lucas who actually love New Coke. Anyway, uh, Dustin is hiding in the Wheeler's bathroom trying to reach them. He says, we've been collared by the law. I love the funny great little line that he probably thinks sounds authentic and cool. He gets no response from them on his walkie, so he just flushes, says shit a couple times, and heads back out. We overhear the parents talking to one of the officers about possibly needing lawyers. And Dustin heads back into the kitchen where Lucas and Erica are waiting. Max must still be getting questioned. Lucas wonders if they went through the gate. But Dustin's like, the water gate? Without us? Without a plan? Without weapons? That would be stupid. They must just be laying low because the law got us. The law? Erica could not let that line go and she makes a joke about gun smoke. Lucas just wants her to go away. But Erica says, either you tell me what's happening or I will tell Dustin what I found under your bed. The look on Dustin's face, the look on Lucas's face when he says, please, no. Like he just completely shuts down and Dustin asks her, is it gross? She says, so gross. So Lucas, without even just waiting for anything else to come out, he just tells her everything. The serial killer is a dark wizard from the Upside Down, and we've been looking for him. But he's in the Upside Down, which we can't reach. At least we thought we couldn't until we found the gate at Lover's Lake. That was the reason why we were there, but these stupid cops grabbed us. And if you tell anyone about this, that's including Mom and Dad and Tina. Especially Tina. I smother you in your sleep. Do you understand? After all that, Eric is like, that doesn't make any sense. Why would they open up a gate at Lover's Lake? They're like, who? The commies. She still thinks back to the Russians and the laser that she saw trying to open the gate below the mall. Lucas is like, you have no idea what you're talking about. But Dustin says, right, she doesn't, but she does bring up an essential question. How did Watergate open? There's only two gates that they know about. One was opened by L, one by the commies. But if it's not the commies, or Eleven this time, then Dustin thinks about it for a moment. And, oh, he has an idea. Holy shit. 
Wait, 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 what? There's one thing we've never understood, which is why Vecna's killing people. What's his motive? Killing teens? It always just seemed too random, too prosaic. On top of that, how does the Mind Flayer figure into all this? Maybe this is it. This is the answer. What is the answer? You sure you just want water? We have Coke, Sprite, Coke works. Dr. Pepper. Okay, just hear me out. How did Elle open the Mother Gate? She contacted the Demogorgon with psychic contact. Just like Vecna when he casts his spells. Exactly. So what if, with each kill, he's not simply killing them. He's making a powerful psychic connection with his victims. A connection powerful enough to rip a hole in the fabric of time and space. He's opening more gates. Bingo. Copy. We're still at the Wilder House. Why would he be opening gates to take over the world? Who do we know that wants to take over the world? The Mind Flayer. So if the Demogorgon was just his foot soldier, Vecna's his five-star general. A five-star general with the power to open gates. Holy shit. Holy shit. Holy shit. That was incomprehensible. You lost me at Mother Gate. Please be kind. Rewind. Okay, so you remember the gate. Holy shit. That was incomprehensible. Erica is the friggin' best. And so, you know, Dustin, he is a genius. He may have just figured out what is happening and why it's happening. Vecna is killing these kids to produce enough energy to open gates for the Mind Flayer. And while Dustin rewinds and goes through the explanation again, we move away from them as we see lights flickering outside the Wheeler front door. And then we see that door is opening, but this time it's opening in the upside down and in walks our teenage friends the wheeler house is covered in vines they quickly all make their way up into nancy's room well steve stops for a moment is that wait is that henderson's voice he hears up in nancy's room she pulls out a shoebox that her guns are in and wait a second there's only shoes in there and this is when things get really, really trippy. Those shoes, those shoes that Nancy sees, she threw those away years ago. And wait, are those her old study flashcards, the ones she used to study with Steve all those years ago? And then she realizes her room has old wallpaper. The mirror there, they, they sold that in a yard sale. There was a stuffed animal that she gave her cousin two years ago. What the hell is going on? She picks up her diary and she notices her last diary entry is in 1983. There are so many diary entries. She said they should be full, but it ended in 1983. The day Will went missing. The day the gate opened. They're in the past. So, okay, wait a second. The Upside Down is stuck in 1983. Did it get stuck the day Eleven connected with the Demogorgon? Is that the first time that the, and then the big gate opened? Or is it like, is this an imprint that never changes? Is that why it's rotting? This opens up so, so many questions and it brings more depth and more lore 
being added into the upside down, how it works, what it is. I freaking love it. Before they can think anything more about it, they hear Steve downstairs screaming for Dustin. They run down and Steve looks a little crazy yelling for Dustin. He's staring up at the ceiling. He's walking in circles. They're like, what are you doing? Steve said, that little shit, he's here. He's in the walls or something. And he keeps calling out for Dustin. But this time, this time they do hear Henderson talking. And then we're in the normal Hawkins and we hear Dustin say, how and why is there a gate in Lover's Lake? I love him trying to piece things together. He says, what do Eleven and Vecna have in common? As Erica listens on. In the Upside Down, they're all yelling for Dustin. But on his side of things, he just, he just can't hear them. Then Nancy remembered that Will had a way of communicating through the lights. She starts flipping light switches, but nothing seems to be working. Steve flashes his flashlight up to the light fixture and the light fixture kind of flares up a bit, almost like it, it, there's glitter dancing around it. Nancy goes over and touches the glitter and in the regular world, on our side of things, you see the light fixture brighten. Now they all put their hands up towards the light and the bulbs really start flaring up. They say, oh, it actually feels good. It, it tickles even. Then Nancy has an idea. Does anybody know Morse code? They're like, no, no. But then Eddie says, well, wait. Is, does SOS count? Is, is that good? I love on our side of things, Erica notices the light bulb flickering for the first time. Dustin notices that she's distracted. And he looks at her and says, are you even listening she said, yeah, I'm listening, but you said that you follow Vecna through the lights, right? And Dustin says, yeah, why? Because I think he's here. The three of them, Lucas, Dustin, and Erica, now look up at the kitchen light as they see it flickering. In the Upside Down, Eddie keeps repeating S-O-S. It's working. Dot, dot, dot. Dash, dash, dash. Dot, dot, dot. Dustin gets closer to the light. Something seems to be dawning on him. And then he realizes. Hey, uh, remember when I said they wouldn't be stupid enough to go through Watergate? Yeah. I overestimated them. Okay. So now it seems like Lucas, Dustin, and Erica, Max doesn't know this yet, but it seems like they at least now know that our teen heartthrobs are in the upside down. But now, how do we get them out? As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. We skidoodle back over to Soviet Russia where Murray is practicing meeting the warden and pulling a gun out on him in surprise. He's practicing this while we see a tied and gagged Joyce and Yuri behind him. He actually drops the gun while doing this and Joyce tries to say something. He takes the gag off her and says, will you please stop playing? But he says, I'm not playing, I'm practicing. And then he tells her, you need to stop talking to me. And stay in character. Remember, you are frightened, scared, and confused. She said, yeah, actually, I am frightened, scared, and confused. He puts the gag back in her mouth just as the warden comes in. He says, Yuri Ismailov, at last we meet. Comrade Major. Murray is very smiley, very upbeat in his role as Yuri. In the back, the real Yuri is struggling trying to speak, but he can't since he's gagged up pretty good. The warden looks at Yuri and asks if that is the Bauman spy. He looks different, uglier in person, Murray said, and he also shaved his beard to disguise himself. Yuri keeps making noise, keeps trying to get the warden's attention, but Murray just ain't going to have that. Silence, American scouts! Enough from you, enough! Such a great moment for Murray, the way he just slaps uh, Yuri. is like, silent, enough, enough. It's very funny, but then also it's pretty funny as you hear Yuri going, oh, oh, in the background. Uh, the warden then turns his attention to Joyce. He said he'd recognize her from a continent away, but she was more beautiful in uniform, but still quite striking. Yuri agrees, very pleasing on the eyes, but not the ears. He takes the gag off and she starts yelling, Where is he? What have you done with Hopper, you vile commie pig? Murray puts the gag back on her and says, Unpleasant in Russian. He then asks, Out of curiosity, what have you done with the, uh, that other American? He hopes he was tortured. The warden says, I've heard about Yuri Ismailov, the peanut butter smuggler. You're not the Yuri I've heard about. You can see the fright in Murray's face, and he's like, I'm not? No, the Yuri I was told about has a screw loose, and you have many screws loose. Ha, 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 he's laughing. They share a nice little laugh. The ruse is working. The warden leads them along as he asks one of the guards if they've missed the show yet, but turns out they're just in time. They're led out to a walkway that oversees the prison yard. They're there just in time to see a row of prisoners being given instructions. A guard says to them in Russian, The key will give you access to the weapons locker. Choose any weapon you like. Work together or alone. It's then that Joyce notices him. Hopper's out there. Her eyes open wide. Murray asks, What is going on? And the warden says, 
They are being told the rules. The rules to what? I could tell you, but that would spoil the fun now, wouldn't it? The guard goes on to tell them that they have to wait for the buzzer. If they move before the buzzer, they will be shot. He tells them he would wish them luck, but it would do them no good. And then he drops the key. These commie bastards really have made a game out of this. It's incredibly inhumane. Enzo, who apparently I'm just going to keep calling him Enzo. Enzo says, let us hope your plans have been answered, American. They all then turn to hear the monster behind those steel doors. First time I saw this, I was yelling at the TV. Hopper, look up. Look up. Joyce is right there. Just look up. She's up there. And she looks almost as frightened as he and the other prisoners all look. We then jump back into the Nina Project, back into Eleven's mine, where she's playing Plinko with that board again. She turns and sees one of the kids staring daggers at her. On another side of the room, two other kids are giving her a death stare. She's getting very nervous, and she drops the play chips all over the place. The orderly boy picks them up, looks at her, and says, Are you up for something a little more challenging? He brings her over to play chess, which, from my understanding, is like a slightly fancier version of checkers. I played this clip at the beginning of this episode. The orderly fills Eleven in on how two is planning to kill her, and Papa's going to let it happen. He said he's moving the children like pieces on a chessboard. He's afraid of you. He doesn't think he can control you, and that's all that he wants, control. This orderly guy goes on to say that he saw this happening and he wanted to help her, but it only made things worse. Eleven then makes the connection that helping her is why he was being tasered by those orderlies. He nods and says, This is why you must escape, but you have to do exactly what I say. She asked him, Why do you still help? And he answers, Because I believe in you. It is time you are free from this hell. And then, under the table, he slips her his card key. On face value, the first time I saw this, I thought, wait, is this how Eleven escapes the lab? But no, it, it can't be. The timeline just doesn't add up. Well, we'll see if we can trust this young fella. Seems like a sweet young man, doesn't he? So we jump back over to Hawkins now, and we see young Holly in her bedroom playing with her light bright. Light bright, light bright, turn on the magic of colored light. Light bright, light bright, make a face to glow at night. Smiling friends... Yes, back before the internet, back before we had laptops or iPads or touchscreens, computers to play with, we would take um, a, a... black piece of paper, stick it on a board that had lights behind it, and then punch through it with little plastic colored pieces that had to be a choking hazard. And the light would shine through and brighten those colors. 
And once you had that, I guess, then you threw away the piece of paper and did it again. It, it seemed um, like a cool toy at the time, but now I'm thinking, well, what, once you have it made, what do you do with it then? If there were only some other use for a light bright, and maybe there is, because while she's playing with it, Lucas walks in and unplugs it before she even has a chance to realize it. Dustin jumps in, grabs it, grabs some paper, and then Erica throws a bag of Skittles in her hand and says, for your understanding, and they get the hell out of there. They burst into Nancy's room, and they take the now unplugged light bulb and fill it completely with all kinds of colored pegs. The Upside Downers are also in Nancy's room, kneeling by the bed, waiting. Lucas plugs it in, and the board is completely lit up, filled with colors. In the Upside Down, they see a faint light that Nancy is able to connect with on their end. She touches it, and the light bright on the main dimension brightens up. Uh, Dustin and they're like, this is great. He yells, we're not going to move it. That's where it is. Then they go over and unplug it and stand okay, by. try it now. Um... it's in water and it's a gate oh that's cute oh um right no uh it's so Before you guys just trust me. Jesus Christ, this kid's gotta get his ego unchecked. His tone, right? I know. Okay, so how far is your trailer? Seven miles. Nancy? Uh, I know your house here is like weirdly, creepily frozen in time and shit, but haven't you always had bikes? Seven miles away? How, how big is Hawkins? Uh, I think growing up, even though I didn't know her till I was a senior in high school, I think I my entire life I lived three miles away from my wife. Uh, I'm not saying we live in a small town, but seven miles seems like from from like maybe square footage. Obviously, there's more miles, but I don't think anything in my town is seven miles away from anything. I could be wrong, but um, they have a plan. They have a plan. Get to the other gate. Uh, they, they think there's another gate at uh, Eddie's trailer. And, of course, Robin makes the observation, hey, you know, 
I know we're in the past and all, but didn't you always have bikes? So now they, they have a way of getting there. Now, downstairs, Max is done being questioned by Powell. She quickly puts Kate Bush back on as we hear Powell say she's sticking to her story. Max didn't fold under questioning. Max looks up to see Dustin frantically waving her over. We hear Powell saying she stuck to her guns, and I love that Callahan said uh, we probably shouldn't have gone with her first. She's like, she's like kind of mean. <laughs> but they tell Mrs. Wheeler they will find her daughter. If she only knew, if Karen Wheeler only knew that her daughter is a friggin' hero. Oh. So Callahan says, um, you know, one of these kids, one of them are going to squeal. Hey, wait a minute. Where are they? The young officer says, oh, they're upstairs pouting. Oh, buddy, you, you just don't know these kids very well, do you? So Callahan goes upstairs to retrieve the next kid to be questioned. He's like, oh, little piggies, little piggies. But he finds only an empty room and a window open. When he looks out, he sees Max, Lucas, Erica, and Dustin running off with their bikes. And Erica actually slashes the police officer's tires. Bad ass. The parents must have heard Callahan yelling after them because they all come running out. They're all yelling after the kids, but the kids are just too far gone now. But think about it. Now the parents know their kids are involved in, in something. Well, I guess something again. They knew something happened in season one. Season two, I don't think they had any idea of anything. Now in season three, they must have just assumed it was a mall fire. And now I, I guess they think their kids are involved in some sort of murder conspiracy? They all bike away, and we get this awesome camera shot going up over their heads. And then the camera just keeps going, going, until we go past them, past the street, through dimensions, and into the Upside Down, where at the same time, we see our Teen Titans biking towards the Munson trailer. The camera pans up, and on a streetlight, we see one of those flying little monsters shriek <laughs> that's the noise it made almost like it's giving an alarm alerting Vecna we cut to Vecna he turns his head he seems to now know that they are up to something we jump over to our friend Nina who's still hanging out with Eleven or I guess Eleven's hanging out with Nina I'm not sure exactly how I would describe that we see a printout of Elle's brain scan we see her floating in the tank and then we travel into her mind and into the rainbow room. I believe this clip is from an earlier teaser trailer. I remember thinking one of the kids playing with the tops might be 11, but I was very, very wrong. We see a bunch of kids actually playing with various toys and arts and crafts. In fact, 11 herself seems to be drawing or painting, but she's actually more concerned with the clock as it's almost 3 p.m. Suddenly, we see Brenner come in, and he approaches 10. This is the same thing we saw at the beginning of this season, only now we're seeing it from a different angle. We're seeing it from Eleven's perspective, as she listens in on the conversation. She waits for them to leave, and then, as the clock reads three, she gets up to talk to one of the attendants. She says, I feel dizzy. The light is hurting my head. 
I feel a plan is afoot. The attendant goes into a nurse's station as the nurse seems to be checking on Two's blood pressure. And he says, she's, uh, she doesn't feel very good. And the nurse is like, uh, who doesn't? He turns around. Eleven is no longer there. She races down the hall, gets through a door using the key card that she was given, and makes her way downstairs, down into the basement, down into the boiler room. Are boiler rooms ever not scary? In a classic horror movie trope, some steam startles Eleven, and she backs right into the young orderly man. He tells her to be quiet and for her to follow him. He opens up a grate that shows a long pipe. He tells her it would lead out beyond the lab fence into the woods. It's probably important that Eleven remembers that for the future. But she realizes that pipe isn't very large. You are too big. I'm not going with you, Eleven. I meant what I said. When I called this place a prison, and everyone here is a prisoner, not just you. Not just your brothers and sisters, but the guards, too, the nurses. Me. Can you feel it? Your papa calls it soteria. It weakens me, attracts me. Even if there were another way out, he will find me. And if he finds me, he will find you. What if I make it go away? You help me. I help you. So a couple things there. That grin he gave her. I'm thinking to myself, is that something we can trust? Is that someone we can trust? Is this all part of his plan to get this this soteria taken out of him? He says it weakens him. It tracks him. Like, what... What does removing that do? What would it do? I looked up on the Stranger Things wiki. It says, uh, in Greek mythology, Soteria is the goddess of safety and salvation, deliverance and preservation from harm. In addition, Soteria were festivals in ancient Greece held to honor a savior. It also says Soteria is a psychiatric treatment where a patient is placed in an environment where they can still retain personal power in addition to often having the right to choose if they wish to take medication. Interesting. Is that saying that this guy, you know, being still being at the lab is his way of retaining personal power? Is the it being in his neck? You know, they talk about the safety salvation. Is that Brenna's way of keeping everyone else safe from, from whatever this guy is? Uh, I, I'm not sure... I'm not sure how I feel about this, about um, him ask. Well, actually, he didn't ask. He, that's the thing. He did say, I can't go. But was he expecting the entire time for Eleven to say, wait, you know, I can help you. Let me help you. We then leave Eleven's mind and take a trip back over 
to Soviet Russia. We're exactly where we left off. The monster is still behind the door, and all the prisoners are lined up on their knees, ready. The warden watches on with his special guests, fake Yuri, fake Murray, and real Joyce. Suddenly, an alarm sounds. Enzo grabs the key on the ground, and they all make their way over to this cage that holds all the weapons. They open it up, everyone's grabbing weapons, and Enzo tosses Hopper a spear. From above, the warden says, I enjoy this part. They still believe there is hope. While all the other prisoners are getting into fighting position, Hopper takes out that cloth he had ripped earlier, and he starts wrapping it around the head of his spear. A buzzer sounds, and the steel door begins to open slowly. The men stand together, defiant. Enzo yells, whatever comes out of there, hold your ground, hold your ground. The doors are now fully open. Hopper, now with the cloth tied to his spear, uses the vodka to soak the cloth as quickly as possible. The warden looks on confused as Hopper reaches into his pocket to pull out a lighter. He turns to a guard. What is the American doing? I don't know. Find out! The guard runs off. And with the guard now gone, Joyce gives Murray a look. He reaches into his pocket. On the ground, the men are ready, or at least they think they are. The warden comes back to stand next to the man he thinks is Yuri. And that man pulls a gun out and sticks it right in the warden's ribs. You move so much as an inch, I'll kill you. What? The warden looks shocked and scared. On the ground, Hopper goes to light his makeshift torch. The lighter isn't working. Up above, the warden asks, is this some kind of a sick joke? It is no joke. As I said, the Americans are very tricky. Below Hopper keeps trying to get that lighter working. Come on, come on, come on. Joyce tells the warden, You want to live in whatever sick, twisted game this is, you're going to stop it and you're going to free our friend. Then I'm afraid you're going to have to kill me because your friend is already dead. There's still no flame for Hopper. Come on! Oh, come on! The men are still waiting. The door is open, but there's only darkness. And then, suddenly, out jumps a demogorgon. It closes in on them in seconds and immediately kills one of the prisoners. Joyce looks on in absolute horror. She's seen one of those things before. The monster tears through those men like they're nothing. Some men fall back, trying to hide, but Enzo yells at them, What are you doing? Stay together, you fools! Murray tells the warden, Order your men to shoot and kill it. The warden says, If I give that order, I will be shot tomorrow and die a traitor. You want to kill me? Do it. Murray laughs very angry, and then leads the warden away at gunpoint. Joyce follows, and Yuri, still tied and gag, hops along after them. Finally, Hopper gets a flame, 
and lights up his spear torch. I gotta tell you, if I ever get a power metal band, you can be sure that the name will be called Spear Torch. Wait, wait, what was I, what was I talking about? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he got the fire to work on the spear. Uh, and at this point, Enzo goes in for an attack, but his weapon gets swatted aside and the monster starts closing in closer, closer, as Hopper jumps in with his flame, scaring the monster back. Finally, finally, the beast is showing some fear. The creature jumps away, bounds off a wall to grab another prisoner, and closes his flowering mouth on the man's head. On the man's poor, poor, delicious head. Back inside the prison, Murray has a gun to the warden's head, yelling, I'll kill him. Toss your gun over to me. One of the young guards does that, and now Joyce has her own gun. They go to another guard by a bunch of controls and tell him to open all the doors below. But the warden says, you open all the doors, the monster will be free in the prison, and we are all dead. And Murray says, I will pull this trigger. Hopper and Enzo reach a set of metal doors. Enzo puts a pickaxe in, and he tries to pry the doors open. He's trying. Hopper's standing nearby with Spear Torch. Above, though, we see a rifle. Aim at them. But another god, he was the guy who had the lighter in the first place, he pushes the rifle down. He says they would need a battering ram to open that door. Let the monster feed. Enzo's still trying to crowbar the door open. The monster is actually feasting on another delectable prisoner. But it looks like there are only a few left. Inside, Murray's still holding the gun to the warden. He says, you think I won't do it? Open the doors! But the young guard says, if I open the door, I condemn not my, just myself, but all my comrades to death. In good conscience, I cannot. <laughs> Murray's like, I gotta hand it to you, commies. And then he goes full black belt karate and karate's the shit out of all these guards and the warden. In the yard, the Demogorgon has another prisoner snack and now that leaves only two meals left. Hopper and Enzo. The monster closes in on them but still stands clear of the flame. But the fire does seem to be getting smaller. Hopper's doing his best to keep the monster off of them. Inside, Murray is faced with all these buttons, all these controls. He's not sure what to do. He goes and grabs his glasses off of Yuri. Below, the monster swats at Hopper and manages to clip his arm. He's still got the spear in his other arm now. He's still holding off the monster with, from fully getting at him and Enzo. And Enzo's still trying to pry the door open and then crack. Uh-oh, the pickaxe handle snapped. Their only hope of getting that door open was broken. Upstairs, Joyce just starts pressing the buttons, turning switches, anything. And Murray's like, you don't know what you're doing. What are you doing? She smashes one button and an alarm sounds. It sounds like something maybe powered down. Murray's like, be careful. And then she presses a big black button. Boom. Below, the doors open. Enzo notices. American! He squeezes through the door. Upstairs, Murray and Joyce are freaking out. That did it. That did it. Enzo gets through the door and into another closed room. Hopper slowly backs into the room, still holding the spear out. The flame seems to almost be out. Close it, Joyce. Close it. She presses the same button, and the door starts to close, just as slowly 
hesitant. But there's still enough space for the monster to grab hold of the door, to start to pry it open with his hands. The space is getting larger and larger, and the monster sticks its head in and roars a flowery roar. Just as Hopper takes the spear and tosses it like a goddamn gladiator, hitting the monster right in its open mouth. The Demogorgon freaks and is able to snap off half of the handle. It's roaring in defiance as the doors close. I don't think it's dead, but it ain't doing so well. Enzo and Hopper are safe. Safe from the monster. But now they seem to be stuck in another room, in another cage, out of one prison and into another. But then a buzz. The door at the other end, the exit door, starts to open. Hopper has his fists up, ready to fight, ready to defend himself against whatever is on the other side. And as he goes through the door, the look on his face. We turn and we see what he sees. Joyce. The look on her face. She runs to him in tears. They embrace. The look of shock and disbelief on his face. The look of relief as if a great weight had been lifted. A smile, a genuine smile comes to his face. I've watched this multiple times this specific scene, and it tears me up every time. Even right now, my eyes are a little misty. You tell me that's not true love? And with that, we leave Soviet Russia for the last time in this episode. We jump back over to the upside-down Hawkins as the older kids make their way to the trailer park. But not before driving by a very sinister Creel house where they know a certain someone is probably lurking. They arrive at Eddie's trailer and head inside. Robin comments that they must have just broken some sort of record for the most miles traveled interdimensionally. Steve comments on how he unveiled a bunch of that upside-down dust flakes and Ugh, it's stuck in his throat. Luckily, that didn't seem to harm Dustin or Hopper, so he probably should be okay. They head inside, and there it is. The spot where Chrissy died. Like, right where she died. They all look up to see a red gate. About the same size as the gate in Lover's Lake. You think about it, it's about the same size as the victims. Robin notices there's something in there. Something starts pushing through. Then bam, it's a stick or of some kind. And we see light from wherever it's coming from shining through. 
Steve slowly approaches, Nancy and the others right behind him. They look up into the hole, and on the other side, we see Dustin, Lucas, Erica, and Max, upside down, laughing and waving. They have found each other. Yes! I love it when groups come together! Now we cut back into Eleven's mind. She's with that orderly boy again, and he's sitting down while she stands over him. He tells her she can't hurt him any more than they already have. He then puts a belt in his mouth, preparing himself for some pain, and turns his neck, pulling back some of his hair to give Eleven a clear view of Soteria. If I ever do make that power metal band, Soteria will be the debut album's title. So much like when part of the flesh monster of goo was inside Eleven's leg, she uses her powers to forcefully rip out whatever is in that orderly man's neck and fling it across the room and hits the ground, making a small clatter. It looks like a little metal capsule of some kind. He gets up, walks over to it, says, Huh. He picks up the metal item, stares at it, and close up we see that it's red. You knew something so small could cause so much trouble. Interesting choice of words there, buddy. Thank you. As he turns to thank her, guards slam into the boiler room. Freeze! Of course, the one thing they don't do is freeze. They both run off together. They get back into the hallways, and they're surrounded. There are guards on both sides. They light up some tasers, and uh, they say, Against the wall, both of you, now! Eleven goes to comply, but the orderly says, No. You don't have to be afraid of them, Eleven. Not anymore. But wait, there's no really place for them to go. Oh, Jesus! The orderly now shows that he has powers, and powerful powers at that. He throws these guards, these grown men around like pillows filled with feathers. And there's one man left standing, and he snaps his neck with one twitch of his own neck. A trick we know Eleven will remember in the future. He grabs her by the hand and says, Come, takes her into a supply closet and tells her to wait here while he finds a way out. She's like, You have powers, how? He answers, like I said, we're alike, you and I. He then pulls back his sleeve to reveal a very familiar tattoo of his own on his wrist. Zero, zero, one. Eleven holds his wrist against hers, showing both tattoos. She's in shock. He smiles and then leaves her alone. Well, I'm no longer calling him... Orderly boy, number one. Oh my goodness gracious, what a reveal. I'm sure that's the biggest reveal of this episode. Shall we continue? Back in Hawkins proper, Dustin is tying bedsheets together to make a long rope while Lucas and Max bring a mattress into the room and drop it on the floor below the gate. The thing is kind of gross. Those stains are... uh. I don't know what those stains are. Mm. Dustin then brings his rope of sheets over to the hole. 
Not quite sure how these physics are gonna work, but uh here goes nothing. He, he tosses it up through the gate. And now it's hanging. Down from his My side. My theory is correct. And down from the upside down side. <laughs> Abracadabra. Holy he lets shit. go. Alright, pull on it! And it looks like it's floating in midair. ever seen in my life and I've seen some crazy shit now they can all escape guess I'm the guinea pig Robin goes first all right let's clear the landing path she goes up through the gate but once she gets through oh my God. gravity takes over thank God that was fun Back in the Upside Down, Nancy, Steve, and Eddie all look at each other. And Eddie's like, okay, I guess I'll go next. He goes through and he says, you know what? That was fun. Now Steve and Nancy are left there. See you on the other side. On the other side. My first thought was, oh, no, they're leaving Steve there last. Oh, God, alone. No, no, no. But they pulled a fast one on us. As we see Nancy going through the gate, we see her falling first. You think she's going to fall into the mattress, but then she's falling, falling into darkness. Oh, no. She falls far, far down and into an empty pool. Steve's empty pool. She lands hard. She never actually made it through. She never actually climbed up the rope. She's still there. She's still in the Upside Down, still with Steve, but now her eyes have rolled back. But Nancy, wake up. Wake up. Max looks up through the gate. She knows what is happening. Vecna. We see Vecna now, fully peacocking in the attic of the Creel house, all strapped into the vines and ready to dish out some pain. I wonder, if he were to overtake Nancy... In the Upside Down, would another gate open? A gate to a gate? Nancy's now up in the pool. Do you remember what you did, Nancy? And she looks over to see, oh, oh God, is it, it's Barb, and she's dead, bloated. When I kill someone, I never forget. We see flashbacks. We see her and Steve doing some hanky-panky while Barb was fighting for her life in the upside-down Harrington pool. Now the pool starts to fill with some red translucent liquid. I can't tell if it's blood or not, but it is disgusting. And I will tell you this. Nancy looks very, very afraid as she stands at the bottom of the empty pool. Back in Eleven's mind, she is still in that supply closet, pacing, waiting, Suddenly, she hears an alarm. She leaves the closet to find the guards still down, the ones that one took out. She picks up one of their radios and hears screaming on the other end. So much screaming.
puts down the radio and makes her way down the hall. She goes through a door and finds in a room Papa down on the ground. Ten dead nearby. Right out of the first episode, she turns and sees carnage. Absolute carnage. Dead orderlies. Dead brothers and sisters. Everywhere. Like a war zone. She runs down the hall to the rainbow room. Inside, they're dead. They're all dead. Broken. Twisted. Bloodied. She looks up and she sees two. He is pinned up against the wall. He appears to be in tremendous pain. His eyes are almost popping out of his head. There, standing in front of two, stands one. He holds his hand out, using his powers to pin two up against the wall. He looks different, more menacing, scary. His shirt has blood spattered all over it. Eleven watches as one's face grimaces, his nose bleeds, his eyes squint, and two is killed. He drops dead to the floor. One stands there in silence, Eleven behind him by the door. She didn't do this. She didn't do any of this. It was him. It was one who killed everyone. He now notices that Eleven is behind him. I asked you to wait. She turns to run. He uses his powers to slam the door, and he won't let her leave. In the reflection, we see one as he approaches Eleven. A very young, very small Eleven. Why do you cry for them, Eleven? After everything they did to you. Hmm? You think you need them, but you don't. You don't. Oh, but I know you're just scared. I was scared once, too. I know what it's like to be different, to be alone in this world. Back in the Upside Down, well, I guess technically in Nancy's mind, we see her pulling herself out of the pool. She is now surrounded by what appears to be the remnants of the Creel House, the same place Max wound up. I'm not sure how she got here, but it looks like a dystopian wasteland. We hear the clock chiming. I see you've been looking for me, Nancy. You were so close, so close to the truth. How was old, blind, dumb Victor? Did he miss me? I've been mean to check back in, but I've been busy. So very busy. 
Ah, it appears Vecna brought Nancy here to show her the truth. Nancy is now in the memory that Victor told her about when he saw her at the mental hospital. The memory of the Creels first moving into the house. Only now we move in and zoom in on Victor's son, Henry Creel. Oh shit, Henry Creel is one. Like you, I didn't fit in with the other children. Something was wrong with me. All the teachers and the doctors said I was broken, they said. My parents thought a change of scenery, a fresh start in Hawkins might just cure me. It was absurd. As if the world would be any different here. provided the discovery and a newfound sense of purpose found a nest of black widows living inside we a see now that Nancy sees a memory of Henry Most finding a black widow spider in the bathroom vent to test them and yet I found them endlessly fascinating more than that Found a great comfort in she sees life. another memory of Henry in the attic, surrounded by candles and jars of spiders. Like me. She sees him drawing a spider on a piece of loose-leaf paper. And deeply misunderstood. They are gods of our world. The most important of all predators. They immobilize and feed on the weak, bringing balance and order to an unstable ecosystem. the human world was disrupting this harmony. You see, humans are a unique type of pest, multiplying and poisoning our world, all while enforcing a structure of their own, a deeply unnatural structure. Where others saw order, I saw a straitjacket, a cruel, oppressive, world dictated by made-up rules. Seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, years, decades, each life, a faded, lesser copy of the one before. Wake up, eat, work, sleep, reproduce, and die. Everyone is just waiting. Waiting for it all to be over, all while performing in a silly, terrible play, day after day. I could not do that. I could not close off my mind and join in the madness. I could not pretend. And I realized I didn't have to. We see young Henry staring at the clock. He's able to make the clock go crazy with his powers. I could make my own rules. I could restore balance to a broken world. A predator. 
for good. We see him torturing and killing animals just with his mind. As I practiced, I realized I could do more than I possibly imagined. I could reach into others, into their minds, their memories. I became an explorer. I saw my parents as they truly were. To the world, they presented themselves as good, normal people, but like everything else in this world, it was all a lie. A terrible lie. They had done things, Eleven. Such awful things. Nancy goes back into the house to see Victor watching the baby crib burn in the fireplace. Henry was doing all I showed them who they really were. I held up a mirror. My naive father believed it was a demon cursing them for their sins. But my mother somehow knew, knew it was I who was holding up that mirror. And she despised me for it. She called the doctor, an expert. I wonder who that could be. She wanted him to lock me away, to fix me. Even though it wasn't I who was broken, it was them. And so she left me with no choice. No choice but to act. To break free. He killed her. Wait. He killed her the same way Vecna kills. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, boy. We see that the power it took for him to kill his mother and almost kill his father and kill his sister was too much for him. And it almost killed him. And now it makes sense why his eyes weren't sucked out when we saw this the first time. It was right there in front of me the entire time, and I missed it. He was arrested, blamed for the death of my sister and mother, just as I had planned. But I was far from free. I woke up from my coma, only to find myself placed in the care of a doctor, the very doctor I had hoped to escape. Dr. Martin Brenner. Papa. But the truth... The truth is he did not just want to study me. He wanted more. He wanted to control. When Papa finally realized he could not control me, he tried to recreate me. He began a program, and soon, others were born. You were born. Everything in the lab that we ever have ever seen leads back to Henry Mother Eppin Creel. He says he's so very glad when Eleven was born, so glad. She looks at all the dead, twisted children in the room. They're not gone, Eleven. They're still with me. He taps his head. They're making him more powerful. You tricked me. Tricked you? No, I saved you. You are a prisoner here. 
just like me. To your papa, you are nothing more than an animal, a monster, a lab rat to be tamed. But the truth, Eleven, the truth is just the opposite. You are better than they are. Superior. That is why you frightened him. If you come with me for the first time in your life, you will be free. Imagine what we could do together. We could reshape the world, remake it however we see fit. Join me. And she just looks at him. No. And says no. She flings him. This little girl flings him across the room. He stands up, and now they face each other. What I can only describe as epic. They stare each other down like a classic Western duel. And then they both snap into action. Much like the circle game from a previous memory. And I see now why Brenner showed her that memory. One is starting to win. She's falling back. Then she remembered his comments about using a memory from her past to make her sad, but also angry. He found his strength in a memory from his past. Something that made him sad, but also angry. Do you maybe have a memory like that? We see her getting bullied by the jerks. We see her mother being dragged away. We see all those dead children from what one did. It's all coming together, and... Ooh, one slams her back up against the wall. She hits hard and lands even harder on the ground. Now one uses his powers to drag her and fling her around, and we hear some sort of guttural growl during... She is slammed from one end of the room to the other, then dragged back and forth, and now he's able to levitate her, pull her straight up, and spin her around to face him. She seems powerless, frozen, frightened, and he seems like he's just toying with her. He's ready to finish her. She seems like her body is about to break, her arms, her legs, they're all twisting, on the verge of snapping. Blood starts seeping from her eyes. The screen goes black. How many of you, including me, thought this was it? This was the ending. This was the cliffhanger. This was the moment. This was the end of the episode. The end of part one. Blackness. But then we literally see a flicker. Is it a flicker of hope? A flicker of life? We hear a baby crying. What baby is, what, what is happening? But wait, we see Terry Ives. Mama, we are seeing Eleven have a memory of her own goddamn birth. The birth of Jane. Jane, I love you. The only time 
we were ever able to see Eleven with her mother before she became catatonic and unresponsive. Well, that is one hell of a memory to help feed her. And it did. And so she's able to send one flying back, flying back through the mirror, flying back through the room, pinning one up against the wall. She lands in a perfect superhero pose. I mean, the best superhero pose ever. Outside the tank, things are going cuckoo bananas. Her readings are off the charts. Lights are flickering and going crazy. Owens looks around nervously, and Brenner simply says, It's happening. Inside Elle's mind, we see one through the broken mirror pinned to the back of the wall. Eleven stands up. She is covered in blood. Blood is staining her face from her eyes. She walks towards one. She puts every bit of her strength into the power she sends into one. A glow starts coming from his chest. Suddenly, he is disintegrating, much like the Demogorgon disintegrated in the first season. It almost looks like he's turning into the flakes that float in the Upside Down. He seems to be burning and flaking and breaking and dying all at once. He is but dust, and behind him we see a red, glowing gate. Young Eleven stands there, exhausted, bathed in the red glow of the gate. We close in on the gate as it appears to be closing. But we travel through the gate in what can only be described as hell. A hellish red landscape of mountainous terrain and red lightning strikes. And there we see one getting struck by the red lightning over and over. He is falling. He is flipping. More strikes of the lightning and more strikes. He is transforming. He is changing. We get one flash of him and then we flash to Vecna today in the Creel house. We move in closer and on Vecna's wrist we see a tattoo. Zero, zero, one. We now know Henry Creel is one and one is Vecna. And with that, the episode ends. And with that, part one of Stranger Things 4 ends. Oh, I am gonna, I'm gonna pass out. That was really something. My goodness gracious, it's now Wednesday. It's well into Wednesday since I finished this. And um, you'll be seeing this Wednesday morning, my friends. Wow, wowie wow, we did it. We caught up just in time for part two to come in a couple days. And I am excited to think about what comes next. And I wonder, what does come next? I wrote down a few notes and I was thinking, you know, what could we be seeing in the final two episodes? I did watch that trailer, but I didn't do an... Uh, an in-depth analysis of it because I was still working on these episodes. But a couple things I just wrote down here. You know, I noticed we didn't see the van crew in this episode. 
so they must have left Susie's to head to Nevada. But remember, that's where Sullivan is heading too. And I wonder if Eden may be tagged along with them. You know, we also learned that the Upside Down, at least the Upside Down um, that Nancy traveled to, is stuck in 1983, stuck in a time where Eleven first opened the gate. Some kind of significance is there. I I don't know what that means, but I feel like it's important. Maybe I just am very excited for that to have some sort of amazing reveal. I mean, what we thought was random killings turned into an awesome, um, you know, realization that they're they're just ways to open gates. So I feel like this 1983 frozen version of the Upside Down can't be set up without having an amazing payoff. And I ho- I wonder if we get the payoff in these two episodes. I'm excited to find out. Uh, that dude, I just want to say that dude. The guy who played one, Vecna, Henry Creel, orderly guy, whatever we call him. We had so many names just in this episode. He went from sweet to sinister with a slight facial expression and, uh, and maybe a couple of hairbrush strokes to his, his mane. Amazing actor. Um, but I'm wondering, should we, should we have ever trusted him? Did we? I wondered. Like I, Sometimes I did, but then I was like, he's, he's very creepy. Something about him. And... You know, we know that music works to get to get you out of Vecna's trance. And I was wondering, um, what could Nancy's favorite song be? And I had it. I, I had an idea to go back to the first first ever episode to see what she was listening to with Steve uh, when they were studying with the flashcards. And that is Africa. I see the guns going tonight. But then I thought, well, what's the song at the party that they were drinking at uh, when Barb, you know, was, you know, taken to the upside down by a hideous monster? And that was, I'll stop the world and melt with you. But that was partying with other people. So I don't think of that as a more personal song. That would be a cool song to break her out of the trance. But you remember... In the trailer, we see somebody, which now we know is Eddie, playing guitar on the roof of, I think, his trailer, and I believe in the Upside Down. So I'm wondering, what song? I'm, I'm, is Eddie going to play the song that brings her out? It's got to be, right? It's got to be. I am, oh my God, I can't wait. I feel like I haven't even come close to like seeing what now what 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 comes next, but these are the thoughts. That, these are the quick thoughts that I jotted down. Um, I I I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'm so scared. Oh my goodness gracious! So just a reminder, guys. Uh, this is what's going to happen on Friday. The show's going to come. It's going to go. There's not going to be any new episodes for the, for the few days after that. I'm going to watch this stuff. I want to watch it completely spoiler-free, both episodes. Just digest it. Then, after a couple days, because I'm up at my mother-in-law's, I'm going to uh, relax, unwind, 
And then when I come back here to Massachusetts, to the big state of Massachusetts, I will then get cracking on those last two episodes. And they're going to be doozies. They're going to be doozies. This is already looking to be the longest episode I've done thus far. And uh, yeah, they're just going to get longer from here, from what I can tell. So I hope you like long podcast episodes. So listen, my friends. We're only a couple days away. Can you stand the excitement? I can't. But we're almost there. We're almost there. Uh, I want to thank you guys for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for sticking with this show. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Geek Mentality. The show has its own Twitter account, at StrangerDPod. And of course, we're on Facebook. It's simply Fans Not Experts. And everything we do can be found at fansnotexperts.com slash stranger danger or you can simply go to strangerdangerpodcast.com so that's it my friends we're done with part one bring on part two until next time my friends stay stranger and remember if you ever sleep over Eddie Munson's house do not sleep on that Fans not experts. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.